Hi, this is John Ryan, and with me is Stephen Nelson, and this is the British Are Coming, the British Are Coming podcast of the USA Handball Talk podcast episode, I should say. Stephen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Just great, great to be here with you. It's a couple of years since I've seen you. We did that. You did. You came along to our online conference during the COVID time, so that was that was very successful, actually. So it's great to be back having a chat about handball in the English speaking world again. It is. It's great. And uh, you have moved on, I think, from Scottish handball. I don't know if you still have if you're dual rolled now, but you are now also uh, you are the chair of British handball. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was actually working for Scottish Handball up until that was about, I think, October uh, 2022. And then some things changed in my life and um, I'd moved, moved away from working for them. Um, I've now, last year I was the interim chair of British Handball and just recently I've taken on the the role full time. Um, you know, when we say full time, still voluntary, I still have my day job as well, obviously. Um, but yeah, so chair of British Handball. Still very involved in Scottish handball as well. Still got a lot of connections. Still got my own club that I'm associated with as well. Right. Well, I, I'm going to show a reel that uh, England handball did on the uh, the match in Derby just to, to kind of give folks an idea. Um, I couldn't figure out how to blow it up, but uh, um, it, it people will still be able to see it, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there is the... Uh, there is the match in uh, in Derby. Let's see. Can I turn the volume on? Yeah, I, was, I don't think the volume's coming on. Yeah, definitely a great event, and it came across it came across very well in the uh, in the video. Let me turn it down a bit. All right, that gives folks a taste of it. Um, I'll stop the stop the screen share. Um, and and maybe you saw the the podcast that JD and I did on the on the match. Did you see some yeah. of that? Yeah, I did see some of that. Yeah, you were kind of fascinated as how we got to that position and where did this all come from? And you told you said I could get a raise as well, so that was good. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that. I, I'm sure it was more than a one-man operation, and England yeah, handball definitely. was also, yeah, also yeah. very yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll take the days, though. Yeah, it takes it takes a village, so to speak. Um, yeah. But, but you know, we we talked a couple of years ago about you know some of the similarities U.S. handball and in Scotland, England, uh, the English-speaking world, and uh, I have been to a lot of matches. Um, and I've seen a lot of matches online in yeah. the English-speaking world where there are a lot of empty seats and it's, uh, you know, it's the players on the corner competing, but the atmosphere surrounding the match has has left much to be desired. And yeah. uh, I, I turned that on just kind of as a curiosity. And I was just like, well, wait a second. It, it, well, it is. It is an England. They got a they got a huge Union Jack uh, flying in the in the stands, uh, full stands. 
just a just a real atmosphere. And uh, um, I'll, I'll, I've got a whole series of questions because I'm really curious as to how it was done. And and uh, you know a lot of it was the presentation, but I'll, I'll start first with the with the crowd that you guys yeah. got. Um, around how many spectators were there? I think it was about twelve hundred. We had in the end it was a sellout in the end, so that was that was we're really pleased with that um, as as well. Yeah, that's a that's a good crowd, and we'll talk a little bit about the optics of making twelve hundred people look great. Yeah, yeah, it did, and it did look great. Yeah. Um, where did where did all the where did the uh, spectators come from? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a mix. Um, I, I'd say. Um, there's there's a large so there's quite a number of handball academies now in England, so basically what what we did well England handball as you said I mean I only obviously only joking early England handball you know all of their staff all of their volunteers were hugely involved in creating the whole the whole event, um so they, they the the children from the the handball academies along with their parents came along to the event. There's also a, a Facebook group the British Handball Past and Present, um which is some of the guys played in the seventies even. Um, so a, a lot, a lot of those people were along as well. Um, also, the the handball community in general, that particular area, even though Derby's not a particular handball area, it's quite close to Nottingham and Loughborough and the sort of Midlands area of England, where there's a there's a lot of handball going on. And you were talk, I saw you were talking about Ricardo, the coach, in the um in the other podcast, and he's from Nottingham, so he's doing he's got a t he's got a team there. Um, so and then we would say probably about a third. Of the audience that were there were kind of local people, curious people, so certainly got a good few hundred interest. And and certainly after the match, I did a, an interview with the BBC uh, local radio station. Um, so so a lot of good a lot of good interest in it. But that was a sort of mix of the audience. So a lot of kind of handball people. But I think it's built upon a lot of what's been going on. I mean, there's a, there, there is an undercurrent of what's been happening since the London Olympics. We did have the the challenge of losing the funding for the national teams. But there's been a huge amount of schoolwork and university work going on in both Scotland and England that underpin the, the, the British teams to actually have a lot more people interested. Yeah, I, that that was that was a wondering. So it was more it was a, a lot of handball people, but also some some folks that, lack of a better term, came in off the street, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, more more or less. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that we we did certainly um, England did a very good job marketing the game. Um, you know, and this that it got a lot of attention in, in, in the local area, and, and that was the second game. So we had a game in Scotland in um, in November for the World Championship qualifier. wasn't such a great venue, and obviously cost is always a big challenge. Um, but uh, so we we sort of used the Scottish Association to support with that match, and the English Handball Association to support with it for this particular match, um, as well. Well, it, tell me a little bit about that venue. Um, what what is it normally used for? So as as a velodrome, um, so we were using the area in the middle of the the, the velodrome. Um, the, the the history behind it a bit as well is and, and because it's got a fairly large area in the middle, England handball have been using it for a number of events. So they'd already started to build a relationship there with with the venue. So that kind of a lot of what happened came from sort of building blocks. Of things that have been going on, England have been holding quite a significant sort of well-organized English Cup final, 
uh, in the past few years with quite a number attending. Scotland's been holding the British Super Cup, which is the which is the to- the top two men's and women's teams in Scotland and England that play off for the both the British sort of championship and the and the qualification places for Europe. So there's been these building blocks of events that are not not quite the same scale as you saw there, but it's something we've been working on that when we can, when we've got something that that we can profile and present that we have that we try and do that and do it in a good way. So so have they played handball matches uh, there before? Yeah, so they can get two courts across the way actually. So it, it's quite a good venue that they can get they can get uh, two courts go, going on at the same time. So they've been doing youth things there as well, and and I think as well we also made a whole weekend of it. We brought the men's eighteen and the men's twenty teams down, so they trained before and after the match, and they also trained the next day. So we got the floor down. So the the eighteen and twenty squads were there, and it gave them a chance to see the top guys and 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 look at the sort of people, the role models that they could aspire to. And it's always fun to fun to play on a, even if it's just a practice, on a on a nice court with a with a with a good feel for you know what a a bigger event will be like. Yeah, always good for them. And yeah, good experience because they've got to go off this summer to Europe and they'll be playing in the uh, men's eighteen and men's twenty championship. So probably good experience to play in the the, the court as it was as well. Yeah, and and. Uh, you know, we talk a little bit about the uh, of the optics and the sizing, and yeah. uh, I would I would give an A plus um, yeah. for that presentation. And honestly, I've seen I've seen handball countries <laughs> not do as good a job of putting the court there, um, getting the crowd right up on the court, and. Uh, you know, full stands. I mean, it even fooled me. I was thinking that there was stands on all four sides, but I see from that presentation, it uh, um, the 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 structure of the arena was such that it was just it was just on three sides. Yeah, yeah, just in the three sides. I mean, we deliberately did that, obviously, to make it, to, to, as you say, the optics to, to 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 be good, so you could see make it look nice and full, and and and, and it's also looking good with all the stands filled as well. Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's a lot of thinking that goes to that, and and I, I've talked about different events uh, that we've had where the hall has been too big. Yeah. Um. The the most notable one was the Coupe de la Ligue in Miami in 2009. They played that in the Miami Heat basketball arena, yeah. and they 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 curtained off the top side of it. Uh, you know the top. You know, you couldn't even see those teeth, but it was yeah. still, it was still just ridiculously too big for the number of people. And they probably had, you know, when they when they bus loaded a bunch of kids, and they probably had maybe a thousand people there for yeah. for some of the matches. But it just looked, it just, it was like a tomb. You know, you yeah. could, you could, you could hear the coach talking from the other side of the court. Yeah, um, and I think, I think the important thing is to get the right size of venue. And make sure you can fill it, as you say. Um, and I and I think we we actually believe that we could we could probably double the crowd if we had the right um situation in in, in the venue there. I mean, because that was the first game in England uh, of the senior teams uh, since twenty twelve. So I mean, that's been you know it's been a long time since we had had a match. So you know that, that as you said, didn't just happen by accident. You know, it was, we've been I talked about English Cup 
at cup finals, they've been using these things to try and this is a good time to build an event out of something. And the, and, and the same uh, company who have been were filming obviously filmed that as well. So they've got experience because you don't always get uh, TV companies or video companies have got experience of filming handball. Um, so so it's really, it's been years in the making really, both the crowd and the whole event. There's been a lot of things going on that perhaps people don't have visibility of because we don't get the, pro the profile of, of what's happening in the grassroots, grassroots level. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the organization and the logistics. And that's one thing I hadn't even really thought of. Uh, when I watched it, when I watched the EHTV broadcast live, they had uh, an English commentating team. Um, yeah. And I said you, you had multiple camera angles. Yeah. Um, so you've got a, a company that uh, that you hired uh, to put together the production. Yeah, yeah. So they, they work they work closely with uh, England Handball. We, we use a different company actually in in Scotland. The company we work with in Scotland that actually does professional football for the BBC. So they were quite impressive as well. But yeah, they they have a company they work with down there, and they're quite used used to doing that. Obviously, there's regulations from the HF around um, number of cameras as well. So so there is a requirement for for all those those angles. Um. So so. We've, we've certainly they've got a partner. I mean, they're very much about partnerships who they're working with. So yeah, they're, they're getting used to to working with them, and they did a really good job. I mean, it's interesting because there was a lot of things, there were challenges behind the scenes, but the whole thing came together in the end uh, of it. Yeah, you know, th that's something I hadn't even thought of. I did not know that they had a uh, minimum number of Campbell cameras yeah, EHF yeah. EHF requirement. I I see all these things about like you know the floor has to be, you yeah. know no lines which is which is a good thing and um but you know that's a, that's a good requirement and you know that's one of the things that we've struggled in the u.s is uh is venues that just don't allow for a good camera angle um yeah and that uh um i i think a lot of times when we're when we're putting on an event it's it, it's kind of the last thing that gets done you know there's so many things that uh that you, that you need to get done just to have the game actually get played, um, that the promotion that uh, that surrounds such an event and the uh, presentation of it, uh, sometimes it falls behind the wayside. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, the HF do have, I mean, I organised the match back in 2013, which was the last match between GB and Italy. Uh, qualifier up, up in Scotland, and, and, the, and the regulation requirements were so much less we never had to stream it, and there was a lot of different, you know, things. We didn't need the LED boards then, so they have made the standards higher, which makes that a challenge for us because it makes it, it makes it very costly. I mean, and the regulations are a good bedtime read. It's about fifty pages, I think, of regulations for for a for a qualifier. Yeah, so that's a that just following all of those for, you know, a, a non traditional handball country. That's that's quite a bit of work in itself. Yeah, it's quite tough. I mean, I I'd, obviously I I've been involved a long time, and, and you know, let, it, it's still with knowledge from from the past when we held the matches. I, you know, I'm just back from Germany, just back from the the Euro finals in uh, Cologne. You know, and I know a lot. Of, we, we learn a lot of things. You know, to under, understand, we speak to a lot of the countries to understand how to how how to create things. But certainly, um, the lessons were learned on those. Uh, on the matchup in Scotland, that that knowledge was passed on to the the guys in England, but they already had, you know, a, a really good team, um, and really, I mean, it's all credit to England handball for everything that went on there. I mean, I'm just the sort of figurehead of it all, really. I 
I did do a couple of things on the day, but really the whole thing was organised by England Handball, by their staff and volunteers. And I mean, it was excellent. The number of people they had working on it uh, as well made, made it run ni- nice and smoothly, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's you talked a little bit about the promotion and gearing it up, gearing people up for it. And I'll have to be honest, I saw I saw a few things online and I just kind of, you know, I see those sort of things all the time, and I just kind of go like, okay, yeah, England's going to have a match, and it's, it's going to be a typical match with half-filled stands, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, I don't want to be critical of, of of past efforts because, like I said, there's a lot of things that go involved with that. But um, how long of a promotion and, and planning stage did it take to, you know, like? To say okay, we're going to host this thing. Uh, did you guys have like a, a big project planned uh, to make sure you know everything got checked off? Probably not as big as it should have been. The project plan. I mean, it was all very hectic. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of discussion between myself, what we'd learned up in Scotland, um, and, and you know, and there was some a couple of key people in England who, and one person in particular who was leading that whole whole thing there's a lot of discussions with them around all the planning and obviously have the, the regulations are a good reference so and then it's just a matter of saying these are the gotchas you've got to make sure that this is in place and that's in place there's specific things around the matches you've got to just be ready for um as well in terms of preparation who's in, who's in charge of the effort well it was it's a, a guy john pierce who's a former olympian um played 2012 so he's the he's the under 18 he's a men's 18 coach uh, and he works for England handball around events, so he was the key, he was the key person there, but with help from Mike Bain, who's the the chief executive. So it was really the two of them that I'd be working most closely with, and um, but they've got a strong organisation under all of that as well, and um, that they, they they can call upon. Which again, going back to the point about the English Cup, where you know the finals have run, they've, they've got the experience of running kind of events and involving all their staff as well. Well, yeah, it. Uh, you, you need somebody organising and in charge, and then you need you know. I would think with with England, British handball, Scottish handball, you need an army of volunteers to make to make something like that happen. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, England have quite a lot of staff. I don't know the exact number, but you know, I mean, in Scotland, there's about seven staff involved in uh, Scottish handball now, and there's, there's a lot more than that involved in England. So, and then they obviously can call upon volunteers um, to help out as well. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know how many. I, I'm trying to think how many people I saw in the day from. About twenty people certainly from England handball I've seen I I, I I I doing things and involved in various things around the around the venue. Yeah. Um well it's I don't I don't suppose you'll you'll give me details on the budget and uh, the organization of, of, of something like that. But anything you can share in terms of, you know, you know, top level numbers of what it took you know, to put that together, like, like for instance, I, I mean, what would, was there an a, a, a an admission fee for the event? Yeah, we did have quite a low one. It was sort of like ten pounds for for um, adults and three for children. But we, we're quite fortunate at the moment. We do have some government funding specifically for the national teams, so that's what allowed us to put it on. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't afford to do that, and we're in discussion with the government at the moment about the funding for LA cycle from twenty five to twenty nine. So. It was really money we had from them. I mean, what does it cost to put a game like that on? I mean, about forty thousand pounds to put a match like that on. I would say forty thousand pounds. I mean, uh, yeah, 
you know, the, and and then you, you got to figure in the uh, the man hours that people yeah, put into yeah. it, and uh, you know, both both paid staff and both uh, you know volunteers, if you will, because yeah, volunteers doing that could be volunteers doing something else. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, there's a there's a lot of goodwill that goes in there as well. I think as well we've been in discussion because obviously in the in Europe you have this sort of four group competition with three home games, three away games over the course of a season. But you know, in discussions with a lot of the countries, I would say that's going to cost you about one hundred and fifty to one hundred eighty thousand pounds to do the, to do those six matches and meet the regulation requirements around TV and all the travel and, and setting up the setting up the matches as well. Well, I, you, you jumped ahead, if like, and that was one of my questions that I was going to get to. Um, like, if you had made the group stage, is that what you were talking about there? Yeah, well, yeah. Obviously, if we'd if we'd beaten Kosovo there, we would have. That was a sort of level of cost um, to put on the the the, the matches in the, in the group phase as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's a big it's a big undertaking. Um, and and it's I think it's been the thing. Interestingly, when I was interviewed that. It's the thing that stops us doing what we'd like to do. Is just it's just that finance, the money. You know, we haven't got any particular major sponsors. There's a little bit of sponsorship. We've got Kemper on board, but that's more equipment. Um, so so yeah, we've not really got a lot of. There's very little income coming in at the moment. When you said uh, six matches, um, how, how does that work? Uh, real quickly. I mean, with Kosovo as a home and away. And then if you advance to the next stage, it would have been another home and away. And then wouldn't it no, have been no, three? The next phase after Kosovo would have been the phase two group stage for the eight for the Euro twenty twenty six. So that would have entailed so they have they have three phases during the, the season. I remember right, it's about October, something like October, February, April, I can't remember off the top of my head. And then in each of those phases there's a home and away one home match and one away match over the course of the season. And that would have been the yeah. next stage. Yeah, so you would have you would have costs to travel for the away matches. Yeah, that would yeah, be different than the than the presentation. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Presentation match. And depending on who you and depending on who you draw, because obviously when you play the away match, when you arrive at the airport, then the the, the other federation is responsible for pay, pay, looking after you at that at that stage. You're always got that responsibility from when it, when the team arrives in your country. Yeah, but you know, for a team like you know, like Germany or Hungary or something. It would be interesting to see the ledger that they have. I mean, obviously they can they can get a bigger crowd and they can uh, um, they can probably recoup more of their costs yeah. to stage to stage matches and then the TV rights for those matches would also have some value as well. I, I would think. Yeah, I mean they, they'll have, they'll have um, you know the local they'll have all the sponsors. I mean, I was I was over in Dusseldorf for the fifty three thousand match. People, I mean, they've got a lot. I mean, the German Federation has got a lot of sponsors, and obviously they're looking after the national teams because the the Bundesliga is, is looking after itself as an organisation. So they've got, got all of that, and obviously they've got a huge audience in Germany. Obviously, it depends on who they're playing against, but the you know they, they will turn out. I mean, they're a fantastic crowd in Germany. The, the the fans just support. I mean, it's it's a great kind of environment handball because the fans are so supportive of other teams as well. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a night and day, but you know it's it's the same sort of job. You know, they're yeah. trying to maximize the number of people um, coming. They're trying to, you know, they did things like the Dusseldorf match to uh, 
you know, get more publicity. Um, it's it's the same thing, just on yeah. a grander scale with yeah. uh without having to convince people to to, to go, go to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think as well. I mean, it was interesting the impact over here of the Dusseldorf game because I met a lot of people who don't know anything about handball and said, "Oh, saw the match." There was a fifteen second clip on Instagram showing them building the building the court, and yeah, and, and very interesting that how much it was picked up by people out. So so the actual idea of having that match to, to break the world record and reach people outside of handball, especially English speaking countries, that are important to, to us. Is that that it did have a good impact on that, I think. Yeah, you know that's that's always something. Uh, you know they 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 talk about like Instagram views and TikTok views yeah. and likes and shares and um, I think at some point all that can be converted into to to dollars and pounds. And yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think I've just speaking to my son there who plays handball and. Uh, I think he said that Prandy's shot against Sweden is at 13 million views on Instagram. So, so yeah, it certainly has went viral. There's been a few handball things that have went absolutely viral on Instagram because they've been shared and then they start getting picked up by people outside the handball, which is a really good impact, I think, of what's this crazy sport this, these people are doing sort of thing. Um, you know, so, so along those lines, the, the, the question I have um, is it costs money to put on an event like that, but you get benefits, you know, uh, yeah. all the, all the kids that went there and, and saw that probably had a little bit more excitement about this somewhat obscure sport that they're playing and where it might take them. So there's a benefit there. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it, you know, crossed over into the British zeitgeist. Um, you, you tell me what was the cost benefit analysis um for the event was it worth it um i i don't i don't i think it's necessarily a cost benefit analysis it's necessary if we want to go anywhere we have to hold home matches and and, and we've, we've resisted that for a number of years because we didn't have the, the money to do that you know we just we just couldn't do it we're a bankrupt to the federation we've had an opportunity since 20 i think it's about 2021 with some government funding which was the fu- as i mean from the uk government because both Scotland and England get funded separately from sports organisations within called Sport England and Sport Scotland. But this is the first money we got, and that allowed us to do this. And I think that we're ambitious. We want we want to be a phase two team. We want to be in the Euro Championships, and this this is what it takes. So I think that it's a little bit chicken and egg. You know, we need to do these events to attract the sponsors. We just won't get sponsors if we don't do this. Now, I'm not saying we will get sponsors now, but at least we have a product. It's a, it, it, like you like your reaction to it. Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of matches, and then people will have a good reaction. And, and the feedback from the European Handball Federation has been really good as well. They were very impressed should, by it. I should sure hope so. Yeah, <laughs> they, if they if they understand what you guys accomplished, they should be like, you know, really excited. And might I add, uh, if you're like looking to try and do that again, and you need a little help, that's. That's a good use of funds, in my opinion. I've advocated for that sort of, you know, instead of always focusing on, uh, you know, competition, you know, set some aside, set some aside to help with the presentation. Yeah, I mean, I think we were fortunate that that was that was really the money that we got in these past sort of three, four years 
was about just supporting the teams, which includes, you know, like having matches as well. So so it allowed us a little bit of leeway. And really we've been doing some clever budgeting as well. I mean, the players get get some payment towards some of their travel when they go abroad, but not all of it. So they're still contributing. So it's a bit of a you know, clever way of just just using the money most effectively, really, that, that we receive. Yeah, I, I guess I guess what I'm getting, you know, like if you if you play matches and nobody sees it, you know, yeah. it's it's the it's the tree falls in the forest. Uh, um, you know, for the people that played in those matches, it's great, but you need something like that to to grow the sport. Yeah, and I think you 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 the point earlier about oh I've watched a few matches in England or Britain and or Scotland and yeah it's not really well attended. I think that. I'm very conscious that if you're going to put something that the whole world can see, you better make it good. So we're not going to film every single handball match we've got because some of it there's not many people watching, but they're good matches. But I think it I think that people forget. I mean, I see a lot of the let's say less developed handball countries around the world putting things on 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 YouTube or wherever they wherever they put them. But you know, you're not thinking that a lot of people can see this and will they be impressed by what they see? So so you want to create the right sort of um, reputation for yourself and the right sort of image um, about where your handball is going. I think it's really key. And we've, we've been conscious of that in the past uh, few years and, and those events we've been doing, you know, trying to create something that looks impressive on, you know, when, when people see it streamed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, I, I guess from that, from that logical point of view, there might've been some things that we've broadcast in the U S that, Maybe we should just keep under the cover of darkness. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I know I have watched some of the US stuff and different things that get on the Canada matches, all different things at different times. I'm always really interested to see how things are going. But yeah, I think sometimes you got to just say, mm, "That's great that like um, a hundred people can watch that." Or so I don't know how many people. We, sometimes it's not a huge audience, but maybe it's not the best if it just sits there and people find that um, every so often. So yeah. It's, it's yeah. got to be. It's got to have good production values, really. Yeah. So, so what would have happened if you guys had, you know, beaten Kosovo, and then I think there's another home and home to get to the final group stage. No, no, we'd have been the final group stage next. It would have been so we'd have been straight into phase two. So there's just Kosovo had to play somebody again. No, before. no, no, no. They're they're into that. that I, well, may, maybe I'm. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm pretty sure they go straight into the the, the phase two around the choose. Just I think it's just a single promotion round. I'm not. You may. I may be wrong. Um, yeah, I think. I think there might be. But what if you had gone to the group stage where you were thrown in with, uh, you know, let's say Germany, Germany Denmark, France, Germany, Czech Republic, and uh, I don't know, you know, some somebody like Belgium. Would you guys think, have had to do that again three more times? Yeah, we'd have to do it three more times. I think the main thing is like, if you you know if you want to get to where we want to get to, you've just got to do it. I mean, it, it could be a real tough experience early on. I mean, the Pharaohs of uh, the Pharaohs in a, a very very small place. The Pharaohs, obviously, but they had a fantastic um, competition across in Germany in the Euros, and that's taken years in the making. But the, you know they they've had difficult matches in the past, and, you know, but now they'd really. They really impressed uh, across there, but so we we want to follow the or emulate Pharaohs, Georgia had a good had a good Euro as well, considering the first qualification I think at, at that level. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think you've got to just 
be in it to win it. I think you've got to start somewhere. It's never going to be easy. You've seen the USA games against the top nations in the Olympics and different things. It's always it's always tough. So it, barring that, is takes a lot of energy. Is this is this a one off thing, or are you guys going to try and do something like this every year uh, well, they, until you yeah. reach that progression level? Well, you know, it depends on the cycles of obviously of the competitions, and obviously on two, they're kind of generally in two year cycles. The Euros in a two year cycle, and the, you know, in a two year cycle for the World Championship qualifiers. So our intention is to build a good relationship with Derby. We like it. The arena is good. We hope to build a relationship. We're going to start a new handball team there, build a relationship with the local council. Um, the women have a qualifier um, in November um, in the World Championship, so we're hoping to have the home game there. So our attention is going forward now that, that home games will be at. That'll be the venue for home games uh, Derby. So, yeah, and we're going to build the audience and just build the whole thing up. And I think it's probably well before the men are back because they, they play in the phase one next January, but probably it's a group phase and probably won't be played by us. But we're also looking at next year, we're going to have the women's 19 Euro um, European Championship. So we're hoping to host maybe six teams there as well. So we've got ambitions around the events. I think it brings, as you say, not so much the cost benefit analysis, but the intangible benefits of just having home matches and how that influences uh, younger players. And also people who have never seen handball before. I mean, it just encourages a new audience as well. Well, I, I'd, I'd like for the USA to stage something like that. We're, we're not not quite there yet, um, but maybe maybe you guys can uh, have a, a friendly tournament. Uh, invite our uh, Americans over there for a training camp during some international week, and we can have like a we have an unofficial English speaking championship with uh, uh, Great Britain, the U.S. Oh, I guess maybe invite India. Yeah, did you see? I mean, it's it's going starting to go well in India. I did see that someone put a lot of money into uh, sort of Indian Premier League matches because that's, that's another good. good example of presentation. Yeah, because <laughs> they're they're making that look like more than than what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. But but good on them, and good yeah. on whoever uh, decided to to you know money in, yeah. put forth put forth that funding. Well, yeah. Stephen, we're almost out of time. Is there any any other words of wisdom from the the big derby event that you'd like to share? Um, I just I really think it's just about teamwork and and really what made it successful was because we really pushed the handball family. I mean, handball isn't a huge sport as you know in in, in USA or, or or in Britain, but what you can do with the people who are really passionate and enthusiastic about it, you can really build something because people people want it who who are have been part of it for a long time and it really it really can make a difference and then thanks both to the Scottish Handball Association and English Handball Association for England Handball Association for all the work that they did for, for both the matches in November and the one in January Yeah, well you guys have certainly set the standard for a non-traditional handball nation anybody saying it it, uh, it can't be done or it's too hard I'm just going to show them that video and saying like why can't we do that yeah. Um, and I, I think that's the that's the same discussion that they should have in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Ireland, and, and other yeah. countries. Because you guys, you know, hats off to you. You guys really demonstrated that it is possible. Yeah, no, thanks very much. No, we were really delighted in how it, how it came across. And like, hopefully we'll go on to bigger and better things. That's 
that's the idea. So we just keep working on it. Well, well congratulations. And I look forward to, uh, to more great things. Um, but for Stephen Nielsen, this is John Ryan. And thanks for listening.